Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Video Game The Movie The Podcast. I am Mackenzie Easton, one of your hosts. I am another one of your hosts, Nathan Eastrum. And I am another other one of your hosts, Lexi Conwell. And we are correcting our mistake last week, jumping back in time to 2003 and suffering through another UA Bowl movie for all of you guys. Welcome Movie's to Movie's a generous word, though. Yes. <laughs> yes, this episode is on the zombie thing <laughs> that is House of the Dead. It was a nightmare. It all started a few days ago. Where do you hide? hide. When they're everywhere. everywhere. What do you do? do? When there's no way out. out. How do you kill? kill. What's already dead. dead? Any way you can. Like I said, it all started a few days ago. Now, I'm going to come out right early in this episode and say it's not as bad as Alone in the Dark. On a technical level. (laughs) I mean, on a technical level, it's probably worse. But this this is the highest compliment I could give this movie is that by virtue of taking itself so much less seriously than Alone in the Dark, it does engender some measure of charm. That's fair. In the way that bad movies can be fun. Yes, it has. It it's not got like a full camp, but like it's got the beginnings of a tent. <laughs> That's a good way to put That's it. That's pretty yeah. good. So, who wants to try to describe the plot of this one? I'll do it. Okay, Lexi, your turn. All right. So the the premise at the beginning of this movie is that there is a rave on an island, and uh, a group of like five friends slash two couples who are within that group of friends maybe um, are late. They missed the boat, so they hire a fisherman who is actually a smuggler to get them to the island. And when they find out where they're going, they're like, no amount of money could ever make us go back to that island. And then they up it by $400. And they're like, yeah, sure. And so they leave while being chased by the Coast Guard, who apparently are really interested in doing a routine inspection because it's the second Friday of the month. And so they're, they end up tailing them but that's not really important until later. It's never important, but it it only comes up later. They get to the island, and the rave is empty because everyone has been eaten by fast zombies. <laughs> and they wander around. A couple more, a couple of them get eaten, including a really like supposedly really hot lady who has zero personality and no brain cells. This movie only has one brain cell, and it gets passed around occasionally to different members of the cast. But anyway, uh, they then shoot a lot of zombies, 
with guns that they got well, from a box that the smuggler well, brought. First, after it's important the mer- that they find a bunch of other survivors in a like graveyard hut. Oh yeah, they find a bunch of other survivors in like a mausoleum house thing. It looks like a mausoleum because it's in a cemetery, but it's yeah, it's a house. Uh. <laughs> That they just kind of were in. Uh, oh boy, I just realized some impl- some really weird stuff about that that I'll get to later. Uh, yeah, they go searching for their friends. Bunch of people die. Uh, the Coast Guard lady shows up, shoots some zombies with like no qualms about shooting zombies. And then they all run. Another person dies. And then they find this, the chest full of guns and grenades that the captain had been smuggling onto the island to hide it from the marine lady, the coast guard lady, for some reason, even though he really wanted nothing to do with this island in the first place. And then they spend the next, um, oh boy, like next 50 minutes shooting zombies in, in extremely stupid action scenes. Uh... And then they find, after almost everyone is dead, they go into the house, they find a lab that was set up by a guy who is creating the zombies to live forever, and then they escape, the, just the two of them, they blow up the lab, there's a sword fight, the movie is basically over, and then like the government shows up to rescue the two survivors, except only one of them is a survivor because the other one has become a zombie, because... He act he, the survivor actively made her zombie blood, and now it's like, and now it's just the, is it over or is it now just the beginning? As she gets back to the mainland, and that's it. Any did I so, miss yeah, anything? Probably, but like like the last Uwe <laughs> Boll movie we covered, this movie has scenes, but it never lets any of them play out. So keeping yep. track of what the actual plot is is kind of difficult. Because there's not probably more than five sentences worth of plot, but it's so weirdly cut that you yeah. just lose track of it. There is a lengthy sequence where the boat captain is alone on his boat waiting for his first mate to return from hiding their smuggled goods. And he just waits there and it keeps cutting back to him. And the first time it cuts back to him, he's just like on deck lighting a cigar And then, oh, there are some zombies in the water. Okay. And then like 10 minutes of other stuff happens. And then we cut back to him and the zombies are climbing into his boat. And he's like, (laughs) oh shit, zombies. And then it cuts away from him again. And then like five minutes later, it cuts back and he's walking around the deck leisurely shooting zombies. It's so weird. It's the same problem that Alone in the Dark had where they just keep cutting to scenes that are in progress, but not in a way where the timeline makes any sense. It's also worth noting that this movie does have unique problems, all its own, that are not present yes. in Alone in the Dark. Okay, let's oh boy. Let's jump back for a second and let's contextualize it with the game, and then we can get into tearing this movie apart. <laughs> because <laughs> that's what you do with Uwe Boll movies. So, uh, this movie is not really an adaptation it's a stealth prequel to the arcade series house of the dead which is a sega produced arcade light gun shooter that was made originally in 96 and they've got like 
four or five entries in the franchise now with some spin-offs. Uh, they're actually working on a remaster as of the end of last year, so that's interesting. I get to see them come to new consoles. Uh, but the basic premise is it's a railgun shooter, so you don't control the movement of your character, but you point and fire a light gun at the screen to shoot zombies. To be clear, this is like if you've been to an arcade yeah, and they've got arcade. the cabinet with the two plastic guns. It's that, That's a light gun. It's either yeah. a House of Dead game or a knockoff of a House of Dead game because this is pretty early in the development. Or it's a Virtua Cop game, which is the same engine. Yeah, it's hmm. yeah. it's a thing. It's, it's a yeah, genre like, of arcade cabinet game. You uh, have probably walked past one in a bar or mall. Yeah, yeah. The basic story as it exists is that there is a mad scientist named Roy Curian who is creating <laughs> these experiments to try and achieve immortality and the main character that you play is a government agent who is going into this mansion that Curian owns to try and rescue people there after the like mutation gets out and starts turning people into zombies. And then as the franchise goes on, it kind of escalates to like post-apocalyptic world where there are fast zombies everywhere and the main characters form a resistance against it that are trying to search for a cure. It's that kind of thing. Uh, I think the Resident Evil movies go pretty much the same direction. And yeah, the gameplay is basically you point a gun at the screen and shoot, or if you're doing the PC version, you move a reticle around with your mouse and shoot at zombies. Uh, one of the most interesting elements of the game is that depending on whether or not you rescue certain NPCs, the pathway you take through the level will be different, which is really neat. Oh, really? Yeah, and the game is, it's just like a fast-paced, really fun rail shooter, and that's probably why it's been so successful, is it's just like... Yeah, you just point and shoot. It's fast-paced. There's always stuff going on, and it like keeps you moving through the level. Uh, and the bosses are interesting. And yeah, that's that. There's not too much else to House of the Dead. I honestly never realized that those games had that much depth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does explain <laughs> one of the things that confused me at the end of the movie. Oh yeah, where at the very end of the movie, the guy who I guess the film thinks is the protagonist, but kind of isn't, yeah. says his name in this way that sounds like it's supposed to mean something, and it kind of does, but it also kind of doesn't, because his name is Rudolph Curio. Yes. Oh. You'll notice that the character in the game is named Roy Curian. Yeah, so it's <laughs> so kind this, of close. This prequel gets it wrong because he's always referred to as Rudy, and then at the end, he gives his full name as Rudolph. Which so is... I don't know how you get from that to Roy. Yeah, generally not how that goes, so... So the point is he becomes the mad scientist? <laughs> I guess the that's, that's the implication, I guess, is that he takes Alicia back to the mainland and gets into crazy science. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. There is a sequel uh, that I don't think was directed by Uwe Boll and was also direct to video, so maybe that touches on some things, but I don't care enough to watch another House of the Dead movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Unless you pay us because I have no real dignity. Or job. Oof. All right, where do we want to start Let's... with this pile of bullets and zombie flesh? I say we start at the very beginning. It's a very nice place to start. And we open, <laughs> like so many terrible movies do, with a voiceover. Yep. And I'll give this movie credit. It doesn't start with an opening text scrawl that explains the plot of the movie wrong, but a single shot of a dude smoking a cigarette on a gravestone talking about, like, his bad day isn't actually much better. <laughs> Especially. I bet, I bet you're wondering how I got here. More or less. So. I mean, it starts with one of the funniest lines, though. I mean, it immediately, it starts with, like, all of my friends are dead, blah, blah, blah. But then goes to, it all started a few days ago when I came here <laughs> for a rave. <laughs> yep. I will point out that having this character sit down and talk about how all of his friends are dead does remove any sort of dramatic tension from everything else that happens in the rest of the movie because you're just expecting everybody else to die. Yeah. Especially it, since this guy doesn't show up again for like another 20 minutes. Yeah, I didn't realize that it was... I wasn't sure who was the main character. I thought it was Greg who... Just kind of yeah. fucking dies, I guess, whatever. The first like 15 minutes of the movie follows Greg and you don't meet Rudy until like 13 and a half minutes in. And then even like he doesn't become the protagonist after that point. After that point, it's like an ensemble and there's like two or three other characters I would put above him in the ranking of lead character. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, Al Alicia's, Alicia's the most the consistent. She's the one with like who consistently has the single brain cell this movie has. Most consistently. Most yeah, it she loses it quite a few times for random bad script reasons, but she has it for a little bit. Unfortunately, this movie does not have a Ron, like a character that we unambiguously all like agree is like awesome and deserved better. It has moments for a lot of the characters, though. Uh, I think it gets close with Liberty. Liberty is pretty great. I love Liberty, but <laughs> okay. Liberty doesn't <laughs> have as much to do. No, she's not given enough to do to be all that interesting. But like when she's around, she's pretty fun. She. I I guess I don't know. But I think all of, not all many of the characters in this movie have independent moments where I don't hate them which is more than I can say of the cast of Alone in the Dark. Um, <laughs> the exceptions are probably Cynthia, who dies too early to get any good moments. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if I ever really like Greg. He's, like, He's almost fine. Fine, though. He, he has a rough go of it. He's the, like, not slapstick, the, uh, like, yucky comic relief. Like, Rushed he's seasick out, yeah. and... He he's seasick and like vomits all over Cynthia, I guess, and then he ends up in a porta potty that gets attacked by zombies, and they find him covered in, you know, and I mean it's just kind of one thing after another for him. Yeah. So until he gets violently mauled in the forest by an army of zombies, and his face gets removed so that the villain can wear it as a disguise. Yeah. <laughs> Which after he after his gun runs out after firing two bullets. He got a gun with two bullets, and we don't see anyone else reload for the rest of the movie except when it's relevant yeah. to the plot. Greg, 
Is it's also worth noting here that the male like leads, except for Rudy, are pretty bland and indistinguishable from each other. So yeah. when Greg's face shows up later, the only reason I knew that it was Greg's face was because they kept saying it was Greg. Yeah. Like I just didn't wreck like he's just I get face blindness for white dudes sometimes because <laughs> Well, and it doesn't help that Greg and Simon dress identically for, like, the first third of the movie. Yeah, Hang until on, Greg Simon? is covered in shit, it doesn't matter. But Simon is the other guy that comes with them. He's the the model that gets his face burned partway through the movie. Oh, him. Okay. Skin. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I yeah. forgot about him entirely. We're going <laughs> off the rails irrelevant. of this rail shooter. Let's get back on tracks. All right, let's get back on the rails. The so. start of the movie. <laughs> Rudy does a stupid introduction, and then all of the other characters are introduced in freeze frames that don't really explain anything about them except for Rudy is being an asshole about all of them. Yep. Yeah, it's like, this is Greg, my friend from college. This is Simon, his friend. And this is... Some bimbo. Two people that they're dating and also my ex. Yeah. And, and all of them are grayscale a... pauses. Yeah. yeah. And he's just a dick about all of them. Like he insults every single one of them, except for his ex. And I don't remember anything he says about Simon's girlfriend. Um I'm sure he says something. Yeah, I don't he calls Cynthia pure eye candy without anything between her ears. And I don't remember what he says about, is it Shirley? I don't even the remember. Other one? I don't remember. The names are kind of, they kind of come I, and go. I thought that Shirley was Alicia for a long time. And it's like, oh, wait, that's apparently, yeah. Alicia is apparently her name. So yeah, I would say it's Shirley. So Shirley okay. has <laughs> something. They're all the same name, cell. basically. Shirley Sometimes. is not a complete idiot throughout most of the movie. It's worth noting. She's that the second Cynthia to last to die. Yeah, Cynthia is like the stereotype of a dumb blonde, and it's like not played for laughs or anything. It's just a straight up dumb blonde portrayal, which is boring, (laughs) (laughs) bland, lame, just bad writing, lazy. We see, we see her tits. We see lots of tits. We see a lot of tits. Yeah, within the first like twelve minutes of this movie, there are three separate pairs of tits. Uh, they're very unnecessary yeah unnecessary and like in situations that kind of render them almost sexless because like why would you be turned on in any of these situations yeah i mean there's one shot at the rave of like people dancing on stage i also like to point out this quote-unquote rave takes place primarily in the (laughs) middle of the day outdoors on an outdoor stage That's not what a yeah. rave is, Uwe. Do you know what a rave is? You're German. You should know what a rave is. They've got lots of them there. Anyway, yeah, there's like a dancer at the party. And then after Cynthia gets vomited on, she takes her shirt off to clean it. And we get a very unnecessary scene of her washing her shirt. And then there is a cutaway sequence to characters that we don't have any other connection to who are just from the party who sneak off to go skinny dipping. And then the whole scene is a reference to Jaws, except the woman who goes into the water doesn't die. It's the guy who stays on the shore, which is like, would be kind of a clever subversion of 
horror expectations in a better movie that knew what it was doing. But as is, the scene is so drawn out and pointless that it just becomes boring. Tracking back to the start of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not back to all the way to the start. But after we get the freeze frame introductions, we cut to the rave, which, as you said, is actually an outdoor music festival on an island, which we in 2020 know is an actual potentially interesting setup for a horror movie. Yeah. But Uwe Boll does not take good advantage of this. You could do something with that. And like there you could I mean I respect the desire to go to a like music festival rave thing on an island and like I don't know, get freaky with people, but the the like the pr- this premise becomes completely irrelevant within yeah. like 20 minutes. Like there is you could do something. There's also this question that is never really brought up by the movie but exists in its negative space of who planned this rave? Did they do it on Death Island on purpose? Or was it just like an accidental coincidence that they had a rave on Death Island? Because like a more competent movie would be either, oh, the immortal dude who's trying to get extra zombie parts planned a rave on Death Island so that he could get some fresh meat or do some work to establish that the rave moves locations or whatever, and this was just the next spot they were doing it on. But instead, it's just like not brought up. So I'm just like, but was this on purpose or not? (laughs) Which I know probably doesn't matter, but it feels like it does. There's nothing else to hold on to in this movie. There's nothing. There's no mystery other than this. They're at the rave, which seems to have a single stage with shitty music, a big Sega banner, and one Asian lady in a stripes and spangle, like a star-spangled banner leotard, who is the, like, dancer? She's one of two. The other one is in, like, underwear. Yeah, the other one is, like, a stripper, basically, which is fine. Completely irrelevant, though. I do appreciate that, like, when I first was introduced to this character, because she actually sticks around, the Asian lady in the leotard's name is Liberty, which Mm -hmm. probably isn't her real name. The movie doesn't get into it. But I was worried that they were going to play into some like really intensely problematic tropes with this character because she's got like a lot of potential to be like a horrifying racist caricature. They don't really do that. Besides the one joke. Yeah. There is one moment, and we'll talk about it later, that is like, yikes, but it's not her character. It's other people talking about her. She doesn't have, like, a silly accent. They never over-sexualize her. She's not, like, a secret kung fu master, at least not any more than anybody else is. So, like, of all the problems I have with this movie, it's not actually that racist, which (laughs) props, I guess? And you can say the same thing about Shirley. She's fine. She's a black lady. She's got a white boyfriend. But, like... She could have just as easily been cast as, like, literally any other race and nothing about her character would have changed. It's fine. Props to this movie for not being racist, which I expected it to be from the time period and the actors chosen in the roles they are. It's shitty to women, but only in blonde women stereotypes. So, like, two points to Uwe Boll for not being literally the worst. (laughs) (laughs) And we do get Casper the Coast Guard lady as a positive representation of blonde women yes oh yeah so i guess it balances itself out kind of 
I don't know. So we're at the Sega rave. Uh, Which I didn't even notice. I was so... Like oh. bamboozled by everything else going on, that, or every all the nothing that was going on that I didn't even see the Sega banner. It's like a blink and you'll miss it cutaway sequence where they're talking on the phone. It's like Rudy is at the rave talking to them, and they're stuck on the dock because they missed their boat. And he's like, "It's a great party. You guys should totally get here somehow." And it's <laughs> Rudy, this uh, bearded guy with a video camera, and. Was there another dude? I think there's another guy or something. I don't really remember. They show up for this one scene and then not again for another like 15 minutes or 20 yeah. minutes in the in the runtime. Which uh, I guess props to Uwe Boll for setting up that these characters exist. Yeah. I mean, they don't just come out of nowhere. It's the bare minimum. <laughs> the bare minimum. For all of the intercutting, you'd expect there to be intercutting to this group of characters actually escaping the like zombie attacks, but no, that part just they didn't film that part. <laughs> Everyone's so already dead. Imagine how expensive that would have been. <laughs> Zombies attacking a rave? There would have had to be at least like 13 people on screen at one time. You would have had to buy glow sticks. Do you know how much glow sticks cost? Uh. Anyways, I don't remember the exact order of events because it's bullshit, but it might be worth noting at this point that, I don't know, like one in three transitions in this movie cuts into footage from the game. Yep. I really hated it. And it's not even like they cut a lot to it. or They cut to it a lot, but they cut the same, like, I don't know, eight frames or whatever. It It's just these little flashes. Then you see the same zombies getting shot multiple times throughout the movie. It and it's feels... just not relevant. <laughs> yeah. It feels like every time they didn't get enough coverage of the characters, like, going from one location to another, they just do a transition with a shot from the game, which is so weird as a choice. It it, it would also be no- worth noting at this point that they did have the entire opening credits run to just this hideous, like, the game footage run through this, like, ugly filter. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like- So I couldn't even tell... I couldn't tell what it was. It looked like it was the outlines of something drawn over with like neon crayon, but it's so smeared that you can't tell what's going on other than like, oh, there's a suggestion of like teeth and zombies probably. I have a theory about this movie based on a couple things. I think this movie might have been edited in iMovie. (laughs) (laughs) Because that filter is an effect that comes stock with iMovie, that like neon inverted filter. And there is a there is a musical stinger that happens when they are talking to Captain Kirk on the boat. Yes, the boat captain is named Kirk. Where they make a joke about it. It's like a horror sound effect musical stinger that I am 90% sure is a actual like stinger from the audio library in iMovie. I would not at all be surprised to find out that he just cobbled this shit shit <sighs> together on an old like 2001 iMac. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it does kind of look like an, uh, like a home movie, except for how much money went into the 
special effects. Which, let's be clear, by how much money, we don't mean it looks good. We just mean it's clear that some money was spent on it. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to give this movie some credit. The gore, the like zombie makeup looks really good. It's fine. Yeah, that's fair. If if you told me that this movie was the final project from a group of student filmmakers, I would say that good job, you made a feature film. It's messy, but that's hard and you did it and like elements of it are good. But Yeah. This is your ninth movie, Uwe. You're a grown-ass man and a professional filmmaker. You can do better. Or you can stop. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing making you, can, you, you do, do this. That one. Either you can do better or you can stop. Either way is fine by me. I don't need your films in the world. <laughs> I don't know uh, who does. Oh, also all the techno movie and or all of the music in this movie sucks. It's like mostly really yeah. bad techno. And like, I'm not opposed to techno on its face, but this isn't good techno. Yeah, Uwe Boll tends to use a lot of like local German bands that he likes. And I don't think that he has very good taste. <laughs> uh. No. So after the short sequence at the rave, uh, we get the actual introduction to our main like four cast members for the next little chunk of the movie as they decide the best solution to their boatlessness is to try to bribe a random fishing boat like we don't see them attempt anything else they don't talk to any other people who own boats they don't call around to try to find a service they don't discuss anything there's no explanation it's just well let's just harass this the first dude we see Yep. Until he does this for us, which is like a pretty white dude thing to do. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think that's what's going on here. It's another one of those issues for me where in a good movie, I wouldn't care. But because the movie sucks, the fridge logic is very surface level. The negative space is just all I can pay attention to because the positive space is so gross. <laughs> it's not fridge logic. It's popcorn logic. <laughs> You notice it as you're sitting in the theater eating your popcorn, and you can't stop thinking about it for the rest of the movie. <laughs> so they come up to this fishing boat where a guy in the most stereotypical, like, yellow fisherman outfit comes out with a literal fucking hook for a hand and rambles kind of like a crazy man for a little bit at them. And then his boss comes around and is like, sure, we'll take a thousand dollars for this. Um... We have some, like, illegal goods to drop off anyways. <laughs> well, at yeah. first they refuse. And yeah. they say that, like, no amount of money will make us go back to that island. And, uh, like, he had just offered $600. And so they haggle for a bit, and then he's like, $1,000. And Captain Kirk says, all right, fine, we'll do it. The, the weird Total thing, heel turn. Yeah, the weird thing about this Literal. Is, <laughs> there is a built-in explanation for why he would agree to take them. Which is that he's going to get caught by the Coast Guard if he doesn't leave. So if, if that character, if the Coast Guard had shown up like a minute earlier, mid-negotiation, and he was like, fine, I'll do it, that makes sense. He has external motivation for wanting to get off the dock, and he's going to make 600 or or $1,000 for what he needed to do anyway. That makes sense. This movie isn't smart enough to do that. He accepts the deal. 
and then a full like 30 seconds later then the coast guard shows up yeah they just shout at him through a microphone uh megaphone from the dock as he pulls away despite the fact that this is a character that we later meet and interact with in the movie all of the bits with the coast guard are just shots of a boat with megaphone voiceover from the character they didn't shoot anything with this character on a boat or a boat set. She just doesn't show up until she shows up on the island later. You see a couple frames of her on the docks, and then you hear her shouting them down in multiple different cuts, and it really sticks out. It's a very weird choice. Yeah. Lack of footage. This movie feels like lack of footage. This movie suffers Mm -hmm. from the snowman effect, which is... They didn't get enough footage of all of the people they needed doing all of the things they needed. So they will just have a shot of a, a wide shot of a location or of a vehicle or a boat and have the characters speaking dialogue in ADR over top to just like get from point A to point B and not lose the information that the audience needs. But it really sticks out. Yeah. Oh, also worth noting that, like, at some point in here, we get the first run of backstory for why the island is bad that has, like, seemingly nothing to do with anything in the movie for, like, a good chunk because it's not an obvious haunted island kind of backstory. It's, like, a very specific, like, there was one crazy dude on a Spanish ship, like, 200 years ago who, like, crashed onto the island and took it over. It's it's just a weird... Yeah, I do like how they presented it, though. Like, this was the only vaguely artsy part of the movie. They cut back to this bald guy in chains on a Spanish ship talking to the captain. And, like, he brings the captain closer to him and is all spooky-like. And it's all in sepia tone with film grain over it. And, like, it kind of works. It's almost campy enough to work and then he just like murders him with a chain but and then we don't see anything else but i actually kind of liked this moment in the movie yeah i kind of wish we got more of the like big bad of this movie because it seems like that guy knew what kind of movie he was in and was having a decent time with it oh yeah Mm -hmm. but you barely get this guy he shows up like at random intervals for like three seconds at a time. He doesn't seem to be like orchestrating anything or like enjoying or doing anything. He's just kind of around until the end of the movie when he starts actually doing things. Yeah, he just looks like another fast zombie. Yeah, he's got like weird stitch face, which like distinguishes him from the other zombies, except for he's shot and like edited into the movie exactly like the other zombies. So you kind of just miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he shows up a few random times throughout the movie, just like peering through branches wearing a robe. <laughs> but th- you don't get any context for it until fully two thirds of the way through the movie. And like, I don't even need context. I just need like a sense that this character is involved in what's happening in any way, shape or form besides just being in the same general area. <laughs> But we move on from backstory and we talked about the scene on the boat where the lady has to like clean her shirt 
She's also offered a crucifix at this point, which she like very like dramatically leaves behind on the boat. But we are never presented any reason why that would have actually helped, so it doesn't really matter. No, it's very yeah. weird. They're not vampires. There's no sense that they would be repelled by religious symbols. And also, firstly, the the dude who turns out to be the big bad was a former, like, he was a former Spanish priest. Yeah, so he's got yeah. God immunity so baked that right in. So doesn't make sense. Uh, also, I just want to point out, because I think that, like, cult movie fans would probably be upset if I didn't mention this, that uh, the first mate, Salish, is played by B-movie standby character actor Clint Howard. Yeah, he's fine. Um, his character leaves a lot to be desired, but, like, he's doing his best and and his best is more interesting than most of these people. He always yeah. seems to be having fun. He's really hamming it up, but yeah. it works. It works for what this movie could have been. So we, we get back to the island. We see this couple like ditch the rave to go skinny dipping, except for the dude doesn't want to go in to have like fun water sex with his this like naked lady because the water's too cold. So he just waits on the shoreline. We get a lot of underwater shots of her body. Uh, and then he gets like, she comes back on shore and he's gone. And then she like runs through the woods for a while looking for him, finds a graveyard with a house in it. And is like, I bet he's in there, which seems like a really weird, like, why didn't you go back to the rave? Like, why didn't you look yeah. for him there? Like, that's where he would have gone. Anyways, she goes in there and immediately gets like messed up by zombies. And they then make it's a another, point sh of, another shot of the they, video game. Yeah, they make a point of like doing the hand through stomach trick with the guy. Yep. It's it's just kind of there, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's some like very bad Uwe Boll intercutting with like incredibly short sequences that tell you absolutely nothing that could have either been removed or attached to other sequences. Um, they come back to. The they they get to the rave. The people on the boat get to the rave. The rave is empty, so only one of them seems to think this is a problem. Yeah, Alicia. She's like, yeah, this something must have happened. There's blood on this shirt. Something has gone wrong. The only thing that seems disturbed in the entire party site is that there's one set of bloody clothes. <laughs> It's also worth noting that they are supposedly friends with Rudy and or former partners to Rudy, and none of them bring up that their friend Rudy isn't here. Yeah. Another logistical thing that I'm just realizing is this movie is set on the West Coast, presumably in the summer, because they're, all, they're always outdoors and it doesn't seem to be cold. Uh, they very deliberately give a timeline that they were supposed to meet the boat at 5, and it's now 5.15 because they were late. It doesn't take them that long to get to the island, but by the time they do, it is pitch black. It is dead night. Uh, so anyways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also worth noting, there's some weird glowy orange lights in the graveyard house, and it's never really established what they are. I can't tell if that was just they needed some lights in there and they just didn't care to obscure them or it was supposed to be candlelight or it was supposed I, to be something else. I just really did not enjoy that aesthetic. I, I assumed it was torchlight because there was like tor burning torches in the cemetery. But it but, doesn't I mean, it's look not like torchlight. 
Because it's probably just electric lights, and that's why they're fuzzy. I don't know. Mm. I'm getting caught up in stupid details. That's all you can get caught up in in this movie. Because every yeah, there's detail nothing... is stupid. <laughs> uh... So this movie was really boring, y'all. Yeah, it it was dull. It was slightly more watchable than the other one because, again, there's some camp value to it, at least. Um, yeah. So two of the five people decide they're going to fuck, and three of them are like, let's go see if we can find literally anything else, um, <laughs> like anyone who might be around. So great. We get the blonde one gets killed as her boyfriend decides he needs to go to the bathroom before we're having sex with her. Just really suddenly. Just it's like suddenly. he didn't. this didn't occur to him until yeah. just now. Which... I don't know. That's weird. He gets locked in a porta potty and knocked over uh, when the zombies come to town, I guess. Um, she gets eaten. She like dives under a pillow instead of running out of the tent to go literally anywhere. Mm-hmm. But she's just like, no, no, no. I'm going to crawl under this like fuzzy stool and presumably die. Yeah. She gets she zombified. <laughs> I think they have to shoot her later. It's a thing. Yeah. Um,. They is it just no? Go ahead. Is it just me, or is like describing this thing beat by beat really boring? (laughs) I don't know, man. The other ones get to the house. There is the dude with the film camera who's like, "Look, this is obviously zombies. We've all seen George Romero movies, except for nobody else has heard of George Romero, which is weird to me. Like, I really have heard of zombies." I really want to talk about this guy with the video camera because okay. he's not very relevant, but he is here for like a little bit. This movie could have been like a really cool found footage, like using his camera type of thing where, yeah, or we could have gotten shots from it. We could have gotten any shots from it. And I think that would have been a cool artistic choice. But no, it's just he's a guy with holding a video camera on screen and then he dies. Yeah, he is the second in this, like, group of survivors to go. When they come back to find Greg and Cynthia, this guy gets, like, murdered almost immediately. Um, He didn't seem like a character I was going to enjoy having around because he was very much like a film pro douche. But it might have been more interesting than not. This movie is so badly structured. We are at the very beginning of the movie introduced to five main characters and we stay with those characters for like 15 minutes of the movie and then they get to the island and we're introduced to another group of like four characters and we have to split our attention between these groups until they get whittled down. There's so much unnecessary stuff happening. Just get to the point, Uwe. (sighs) Here's the secret, though. There is no point. No, you're right. Not at all. Not at all. So this is about when the racist thing happens. Or the thing that I think is racist, but I yeah. honestly don't even know if the movie like intends it to be, or if it just like doesn't think about it at all. Does so, anybody want to discuss this? Yeah. Yes. Basically, what happens is... They're, they've all kind of joined together, like there's a group of them, and apparently one of the friends that we vaguely cared about, Simon, uh, has taken an interest in Liberty, the, like... No, it's, it's Rudy. 
Rudy's okay. taken an interest in liberty. It's re- I literally it literally doesn't matter because I had no idea until they said it. But one of the friend group it has taken an interest in this Asian woman in the leotard who calls herself Liberty. And Alicia comes up to Rudy or whoever and s- says something along the line. It's like, are, are you sh- something along the lines of like, are you sure you want to be interested in her? I don't think she's a natural red, white, and blue. Yeah. It's like, w- what? Like, it feels like a like natural blonde joke or natural brunette joke or something like that, but it's just racist, I think. Yeah. I'm it's- pretty sure, just based on how casual it is, it's supposed to just be a joke about her costume. Yeah. But because the actress is Asian American- yeah. It ends up being like, why would you date an immigrant, Paul? <laughs> like, it comes off like her his ex-girlfriend is like, I don't think she's really an American, which gives her this like weird white supremacist vibe that's never touched on again. Yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> it's uh. And I almost wonder whether or not the line was written before they cast it. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. And like, it... it just wasn't considered that it would have implications. Because like, again, nothing else about her plays into that stereotype. Yeah. She was either raised in America or like born there and has like no like distinguishing characteristics that would make her seem like that line makes any sense. So that happens. And it's never touched on again. And Liberty seems like a perfectly nice girl. She doesn't go out of her way to be a stupid character. She does, like, dive into zombie-infested water to save the guy that she likes. But that's, like, kind of, like, noble. It's stupid. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It's horror movie stupid. So, like, it's, it's within the acceptable range. That's fair. And also, he jumped in first. Yes, he did. And that was an... Well, I mean, that was even dumber. Every- <laughs> well, everyone was shouting at him not to jump in because there were zombies in the water, and he still does. And on the boat. Like, they're very obvious. He can see them, but he's just, yeah. like, books it from the dock into the water to the boat. And then instead of, like, going back to the dock where Casper, uh, the Coast Guard lady with a big gun, is shooting and is much closer, he swims all the way to shore. He could have turned around and swum eight feet instead of, like, 30. Yeah, and this is at the climax. Is Uh, it? That's at the climax. This is, um, er we're back at an earlier point. No, that's... That's, that's like that's that's climax. nowhere near the climax that's, of the movie. That's like right before they meet back up with Kirk. Oh right, okay. Because they go they go looking for him because he has a boat. Um, yeah. But before all of that happens, they meet back up at the campground at the rave uh, to look for Cynthia and Greg. They <laughs> find Greg in the um, porta potty that's been knocked over, and he's like. I don't know what happened. There was just all this banging and then it fell over and I was trapped. And then he's like, where's Cynthia? And then zombie Cynthia comes out and starts attacking them. And here's where Casper gets introduced, which is at the same time, 
kind of a badass way to introduce a character. I mean, aside from where we briefly saw her on the docks earlier. And also, like, one of the worst cut sequences in the entire movie, which is saying a lot. (laughs) Which is, so zombie Cynthia comes out, starts running towards them, and then we just hear, bang, and she goes flying backwards into a tent. And we get a cut to Casper holding a rifle in the tree line a little ways away from this group of characters. And then we get a cut back to Cynthia lying on the ground. And then the next cut is straight to Casper holding a pistol standing over Cynthia. And she shoots Cynthia in the head. There is no time establishing Casper moving from like 20 feet away in the tree line to literally standing over Cynthia. Yeah. It's then they go on a so jarring. The, and then they go on a walk through the forest to get away from the zombies. Uh, this forest is complete with random pools of bubbling water filled with yep. zombies. Yep. Uh, they eventually get to the coastline where they see Captain Kirk's ship uh, Simon tries to swim for it. This was a bad idea. Uh, the captain gets bit by zombies. The zombies apparently spit acid, which is mm-hmm. only really used to fuck up Simon's face. And then that's it. It never comes it's back. Not, it's not really a concern of theirs. Uh, it just kind of happens. And then later, an unrelated vial of acid gets tossed at a guy's face. But like... I don't, that's not like clearly established link there. It's just more acid. I'm also pretty sure the scar on his face changes sides between scenes. Because like it's very clearly on his left side during a shootout sequence a little bit after this. And then later on when they're like exploring the house, it is pretty clearly bandaged on his right hand side. So also there's no establishing where they got the band-aid yeah if they just have it like a gauze patch over his burn at one point but they they didn't seem to have any supplies with them aside from the guns they get from kirk because he's smuggling weapons and cigars (laughs) and cigars so after after captain gets to the to the coast and they get their gun box full of cigars and guns uh they decide let's go back to the hut because I guess that's the best solution we have. Uh, the zombies are very jumpy at this point. They start like actively leaping. There is a they chase. put a lot of they put a lot of zombies on wires in this movie. <laughs> They're very jumpy. They're very jumpy, fast boys. Which would be impressive if the action sequences were cut in any intelligible way. But it is huh? kind of the Uwe Boll trademark action cinema technique of just cutting to random shots of enemies and then random shots of people firing guns and just like putting them (sighs) together at random in a way that seems like action. During one chase sequence, we get shots of the people running away, but not shots of zombies running and chasing them, just shots of zombies like doing a spooky jumpy face, (laughs) which does not establish that they are being chased. It just establishes that the zombies exist. This movie has zero sense of spatial awareness. This is also around the time when we start getting introduced to the Matrix shots where they just Mm. stop time and spin around the character. Every character who hasn't died at this point gets one of these where 
yeah, time has stopped. They're fire they're probably firing a gun. You might see like the smoke from it. They do a full 360 and then we cut back to the action and they just do these each character in succession with them shooting zombies in between. This sequence lasts for like seven full minutes of just them walking towards the house, shooting zombies, and slow motion interspersed, and zombies jumping and chasing, and them shooting. They have a lot of extras in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like a lot of extras. There's one particular slow motion shot that... I love for how stupid it is. One of the characters, I think it's Alicia, has a shotgun, Mm -hmm. and she fires the shotgun, and what comes out of the shotgun is very distinctly bullet-shaped. It's not buckshot. It's not a slug. It is a bullet the size of a shotgun shell, and it slowly breaks apart into smaller bullet-shaped bullets (laughs) moving out in a spread pattern, but straight like bullets go through a zombie that gets blasted across the field that they're walking through. I think you're missing my favorite part of that individual shot. Yeah, She jumps up in the air with the shotgun because the zombie has done a backflip aerial (laughs) axe throw. You're right. (laughs) I did skip over that part. Yeah, it's kind of important. The zombie does a backflip aerial axe throw at her, to which her reaction is jump in the air shooting a shotgun that works like no shotgun on the planet. This individual slow motion shot is the one glimpse of the kind of overwrought camp B-movie that this probably should have been. It's this tiny glimpse of something genuinely fun and crazy. I also like their hero shot where they all walk up with their cool guns in like a badass line and they're like, we're going to take out some zombies. Like I would have liked if this movie had an arc from these are all pathetic, stupid children to now we're badass zombie killers. But instead it just kind of happens. Yeah. And they're all competent all of a sudden, which they have not been. It's very clear that this is where most of the money for this shoot went. Yep. And like I mentioned the like the 3D spin shots are kind of cool in and of themselves, but they are in on themselves. Like it's part of an action sequence in that they are cut into it. They do not follow the action or cause any of the action. It's just stuff will be happening. Then we'll get a cut of a slow motion thing happening that doesn't connect to anything else. And then more stuff will happen that kind of connects to the stuff from before. It's, yeah, they are not like, it's not like he starts into a cool fight and then it does the Zack Snyder thing of like slow motion so you can get a real sense of the hit that just happens. It's just a separate shot of a slow motion 360 degree like gunshot or samurai sword or something. Here's my thoughts on the 360 thing, because I think it's trying to do something cool, but it doesn't quite get there. It Well, I think it makes, it reminds me of a character select screen where you choose your character, you get a full 360 of them, and then you get to like see them shoot zombies. There are a few other moments where when a character, when a few of these characters die, they get another one of these things where they're like dropping their gun or whatever. But it only happens. Red. Yeah, and it's red. They put like a blood filter over it. 
but it never it doesn't happen consistently it only happens for like two characters so it doesn't actually work like if they had done it for every character that died it would have been a cool like you select your character and now it's game over for this character i think that would have been cool but they didn't do it they didn't commit here's the thing i think almost all of the things we've complained about in this movie if they were done can like what's the word consistently throughout the movie if every time blank happened blank happened it would be fantastically hilarious like if literally Mm -hmm. every transition were the video game screen that would be great but instead it's like one out of every five or like they also do like they do a oh what's the transition called where like it literally comes down from the top and the bottom of the screen we get one of those and we also get exactly one transition where blood drops down from the top of the screen if literally every transition were this stupid i would like the movie more but it is equally just smash cuts yep or like i would just like the movie if it could just stay in a fucking lane but it can't (laughs) this is a drunk driver but driving like 20 miles an hour Yeah, there is there is definitely a version of this that could have been made with a lot of these choices had they been committed to in the way that a director with an actual sense of coherent style would be able to do. But they're just they happen at random. There's no sense of motivation behind these choices. They're just there. But if it was consistently no sense of motivation, it would come back around to being entertaining in its own right. The problem is everything is half-assed. Yeah. Uwe Boll, I just wish Uwe Boll went as hard as Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't care. And it, it, it disturbs me. Like, there's too many tits in the first half of this movie. But then there is an astonishing lack of tits for the rest of the movie. Do you want this movie to have tits or not, Uwe? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of movie is this, Uwe? There's not even one tit zombie. Come on. You could have one (laughs) tit zombie. If you're going to do an exploitation movie, make an exploitation movie. Like the first part of this movie is like the horror movie that everybody is complaining about when they talk about horror movies. And then it just like stops being that. Yeah. <sighs> so anyways, I, the Coast found... Guard lady gets her eggs ripped off by zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens. Um, also, Rudy drags her wa- through a window and her legs get ripped off. There's a weird edit here where the characters are fighting their way towards this house. And then all of a sudden, Greg and, or no, it's Rudy and Casper are suddenly separated from the rest of the group but we don't see how this happens so they're climbing through a window on like the other side of the house while everybody else is like fighting their way through the front door and that doesn't make sense in terms of how the edits put together yeah and and this is where liberty dies she's somehow separated (laughs) what uh what (laughs) never mind it it was a star wars joke oh gotcha so liberty is fighting and kicking zombies because that's the thing she can do now and rudy is just kind of off to the side and she starts to get overwhelmed by a few zombies like there are a couple zombies starting to grab her and she's screaming for help 
And instead of anyone helping her and like shooting the zombies that are just kind of there, where we've seen someone else have a zombie shot directly in front of them and be fine, even though we also saw three zombies get shot with one bullet at a different time. Anyway, we see Liberty getting overwhelmed by zombies and no one does anything. And we get a shot, a cut of Rudy watching her and then dramatically closing his eyes and looking away sadly. And then we get a reverse reverse rapid cut all the way back through the entire fight scene. We see like memories of Rudy and Liberty, except it's not. It's just... It's just random shots that happened of this fight scene. It's not even the whole movie. It's just to the beginning of this fight scene in rapid reverse. (laughs) And then we see him look up, look still looking down and her die. And that's it. Liberty's gone. (laughs) Just saw this whole scene play out. And we're getting a flashback. And it's not a flashback (laughs) that is followable. It's like a. It's like no. the it's worst really music fast. video. It's terrible. It's like they wanted there to be this dramatic, like, oh, I am watching die this person who I so recently connected with on this personal level, and the things that we have struggled through together are flashing before my eyes, and I can't do anything to help them. But no, it's it's just these chaotic unintelligible shots of people shooting zombies <laughs> that we literally just saw play out uh, like five minutes ago but rudy is like, like really over upset about the this. last five minutes five minutes ago uh, so they get into the house we have clearly seen at this point the captain get bit by zombies like multiple times but they bandage him up and leave him on the table as if this isn't a zombie trope and they haven't already talked about how this is zombies. And you kind of expect this to go the obvious place. But there is actually no evidence in this movie that being bit by a zombie turns you into a zombie. Because nobody turns into a zombie in this movie except for Cynthia, who gets killed by zombies and then comes back. And this is in a movie that very deliberately references the Romero zombie movies which established the convention that if you get bit by a zombie, you turn into a zombie. This movie doesn't actually ever have somebody turn into a zombie who wasn't already pretty clearly killed by the zombies, which is also a valid zombie method. There are zombie movies and television series where like being attacked by them in on itself isn't enough. It's kind of a different style where it's just, if you get killed, you come back. But this movie wants you to think, like, pretty clearly that the captain's gonna turn into a zombie, but it does none of the actual him turning into a zombie stuff. He just does a heroic sacrifice later. Because he is already a zombie, question mark. But, like, there's nothing to show that he's too far gone. Yeah. And no evidence that that would happen. There is a little bit of makeup when he just before he does the sacrifice that implies that he might be turning, but it's not. But he's also like evident. bleeding out. So he'd look like shit anyways. That's fair. Yeah. They they do an almost cool thing here where Shalasa or something like that, the, the fisherman guy Salish. who, Shalish, he, he died way early on in the movie, Alone in the Woods. But 
we hear him whistling outside. And which also implies that the zombies have some amount of like personhood, which considering that the guy who makes them is immortal and a zombie, it's really unclear why the zombies are so like rage violent monsters when they're also like very fast and seem to have some amount of intelligence. But sometimes, but so we hear shallow, I missed it. Anyway, uh, uh, whistling outside. And so the captain struggles out the door and there are zombies around dragging bodies away, presumably to remake them into zombies. And Salish is standing there looking at his captain kind of mournfully. And he shoots him in the head. He shoots, even though he just, he ends up on the ground, just kind of zombie dying, maybe. But he seems fine. I don't know. He's just kind of there. And no, none of the zombies are attacking him now that the door has, like he opens the door. He is standing there. He's fine. The zombies are ignoring him. And it's just like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm already dead. Lights a stick of dynamite. The whole house explodes from this singular stick of dynamite. They spend that entire elongated action sequence fighting to get to this house because it's the one place on the island they can fortify. And then Kirk walks out and blows up the front door. And, like, two of the windows. Like, the whole so house like, ends up on fire. Fucking thanks, Kirk. Well, luckily for them, there's a basement secret lab. Yeah, like, this house is actually the spooky zombie guy's secret lab. That's where he lives. People have been in here and been fine, even though previously people have gone in there and gotten eat by, eaten by zombies. I would like to so, take a moment here. To compliment one of the few things that I think the movie does kind of okay is when they first get into the house before the captain decides to blow everything up. There are two short sequences between characters where they actually talk about what's been going on and seem upset about it in ways that feel kind of human. There are like no breaks in this movie. It just goes all the time. These are This is like the only time in the movie where it stops for five seconds. And yeah. like- I believe that Simon is sad because his face got acided and his girlfriend is being very good and supportive about it. And like, they seem to be reacting in ways that kind of make sense. And Rudy has really taken it hard that he could not save Liberty and seems to have gone like kind of feral on the idea of making sure it doesn't happen to Alicia. These are I don't even think it was Liberty. Care. I think it was no, Casper he's... that he's freaking out about because Either they're way, over Casper's body. Either way- the upsetness registers and it's believable and it's like these are the only character moments like these are some of the best character moments that we get in this whole movie but it's also at this point in the movie where i was certain that one or both couples were gonna fuck nobody (laughs) fucks though no i was stops It stops yeah. using the uh, the language of like slasher movies after the first like third of the movie. Yeah. Although, also, the couple that needs to get their fuck energy the most can't because Casper's legs were blown off. There is a really potentially interesting relationship between Casper and Captain Kirk because they both used to like be in the military together and now they're like on opposite sides of the law and like it's kind of established and they have some rapport 
but it doesn't matter because nothing matters. Yeah, this yeah pretty of course boring. they never follow up on any of these character threads that might conceivably be interesting. Anyways, in the lab, there's a face leech. Oh, before that. Yeah, that was weird. There Aww. is another good moment here. It's in the same scene where it looks like Kirk might not make it because his leg wound is too serious, where uh, I think it's, I can't remember what character is, but somebody, while they're like gathering up, they're like taking stock of their ammunition and he's like gathering up bullets and he leaves one behind for Kirk, presumably so that when it comes to like the last moments, Kirk can shoot himself as opposed to becoming a zombie. And it's like, oh, that's some good drama there. And then that's the bullet he uses to shoot Salish. And like that whole thing, that's mm-hmm. like kind of interesting. There's like some human drama there. Yeah, he loved his friend so much that he would rather he not be a zombie, which is like, that's genuinely sweet. And yeah. then, you know, we move on from that immediately and it doesn't have any bearing on the rest of the story. I mean, more importantly, he immediately blows up the whole place. So like, yeah. That doesn't really do anybody any good. In the basement, there is a face leech. Yeah. The so face they find leech the... might be the most genuinely scary thing in the whole movie. Yeah, it's a good jump scare. I they hate the have... face leech. <laughs> it's really gross looking. It's swimming around in what is apparently intended to be like weird magic alive blood. And even though it doesn't look like blood at all, it looks like Kool-Aid, glowing Kool-Aid. It really does look like Kool-Aid. <laughs> Yeah, it turns out the secret to immortality is magic mutating blood that reanimates dead things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was supposed to be a Kool-Aid oh, man joke. We yeah, also, I got that. We also missed the um, heroic self-sacrifice that Simon gives where he uh, blows up a bunch of barrels full of 14th century black powder that are apparently still fine. No, I think that's after this. Yeah, that's oh, no, after. The lab is in the, is in the trap There's door. two labs. They they escape from the lab, and then they go oh, to a different you're lab. you're right, because that's when they go down to the tunnel. So there's this, two labs. This movie is terrible. <laughs> there's lab in the basement, and then there's lab at the end of the tunnels. Because this guy is a two-lab kind of zombie. So lab one has the face leech, which is literally a human head on a leech body, and it looks like a pretty decent practical effect. Good props on the leech thing. It does kind of track because in House of the Dead, leeches come out of some of the zombies and will attack you. They don't have human faces. But like, if you want to add some spooks, that's how you make a leech scarier. As if you really need to. Leeches are pretty scary. This is the one (laughs) effectively used jump scare in the entire movie. So they go into the secret lab for zombie research, figure out the zombies. The captain explodes the thing. Then they go back down into the lab and find the barrels of gunpowder. Uh, that's when Simon does his self-sacrifice. And then right. they walk and down and do some literal rail shooting. Yep. yep. They're in a tunnel, old mining tunnel. Zombies come off of the walls and they do they, they shoot zombies. And then Shirley stays behind and wades into a crowd of zombies for absolutely no reason other than that she needed to be killed off. Yeah, the heroic sacrifice works for Kirk, and uh, I'll say it works for Casper, and it works for Simon. But Liberty and Shirley both just kind of die because it's the time in the script when they're supposed to die, and they get overwhelmed by zombies, either to let the white people go or just because the white people don't do anything. 
and yet again, this is a sequence where the character like gets overwhelmed by zombies and says that the other ones should run and they'll distract the zombies. And the other characters just sit there and watch it happen before they run away. <laughs> like and either it's do not something even, or run. <laughs> and it's not even like she's being overwhelmed by zombies and then tells them to run. It's like, run, I'll take care of these. She then walks away from them into the crowd of zombies, punching zombies, and gets overwhelmed because you have actively surrounded yourself with zombies. You have not protected them. You have just run into a crowd of zombies to die. Yeah. Also, like it doesn't even seem to be a reaction to the fact that her boyfriend just died, which might make some sense. She doesn't seem to connect those dots. Also, Simon's death, while I hold that his heroic sacrifice works better than a couple of the other deaths, his I've been caught by the zombies is probably one of the worst because he's just kind of leaning against the wall casually as zombie arms are coming out. Like, he doesn't... The actor clearly has stopped caring at this point. (laughs) Oh, there's also another hilariously obvious continuity error in the scene where... Uh, he's like supposed to be barring the door, but he's just kind of leaning against it. And the zombie arms are coming through and grabbing. And then we get a like reverse reaction shot to Rudy, who is watching this happen. And we're like over his shoulder, kind of looking back at the door as he realizes that Simon is going to shoot the gunpowder. Except in that shot, Simon's not in the shot. It's just zombie arms reaching through the door. <laughs> now I don't think this is quite uh, as obvious as corpse getting up in Alone in the Dark, but it's not yeah. great. Do we want to talk about Uwe Boll's clear like fixations at this point? Because I've only seen two of his movies so far, and both of them have boat scenes and mine scenes, and are shot in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he apparently just likes shooting in in Canada, or maybe just likes taking advantage of the generous tax credits that the BC government offers. So every Uwe Ball movie so far that I've seen has sequences on a boat with a grizzled captain type, sequences in a mine tunnel, usually involving explosives, and sequences in secret laboratories that are connected to those mine shafts. And then when you come back up to the surface, it's actually near a building you already saw before. Yep. Um, uh, I think he might just be making the same movie. Well, exactly. He's an auteur. Oh, God. Mm. There is there is a famous quote that auteurs only ever make one movie. I'd rather watch the movie that Guillermo del Toro makes where a woman fucks a fish man, but... <sighs> See, the one movie that del Toro makes is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Heck, at this point, I'd rather watch the one movie Kubrick makes where men are mean. (laughs) (laughs) Than this fucking thing. Anyways, they go down into the second laboratory where the stitch face man is there and they kind of get an explanation for what's been going on. Well, firstly, the stitch face man is wearing Greg's face, which is why they follow him. Because they think that Greg has somehow survived after he went missing in the woods. He's Um, holding a giant sword. He's holding a giant sword wearing a robe. (laughs) 
and he doesn't say anything. He just like cryptically puts his finger to his lips and gestures for them to follow uh, and takes them to a secret lab with a bunch of skinless zombies hanging from hooks upside down. And then he peels the skin off and reveals that he is Scarface the whole time. He pins down Rudy and then he does the creepy like silence of the lamb type like i want your skin pretty lady thing and licks her which is just gross yeah and kind of unnecessary yeah and then rudy says then it's the stupidest thing in the movie this line is the single greatest encapsulation of what is wrong with uve bowl's writing <laughs> go ahead you're doing this to be immortal why why <laughs> So I can live forever. Yeah, Rudy. Yeah, no shit. He's doing it so he can be immortal. That's why. That's that's the reason. It's not. You gave the. Ah, it's giving me a headache. It's so stupid. Uh, they follow uh, this up with Rudy suddenly being able to break away from the zombies. Just push all of these zombies that are like piled on him. And then uh, Alicia makes a joke about at, at least you get to be wanted for your body or something like that. And just like, uh, okay. Isn't it nice to be wanted it's for not... your body? Which like, if the movie had that tone, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. They had a moment w- early on when they're all getting guns where Kirk and Casper compare the size of their guns except it's it would be a good moment but they structure the joke wrong (laughs) so uh kirk pulls out a grenade launcher and then is it a grenade launcher pulls out i'm pretty sure that's what it is i couldn't tell something like like that like it's got like a big cylinder barrel and like pump action it looks like a grenade launcher to me but maybe i'm wrong it never uh, explodes later on. It just, I think it shoots really big bullets. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's some kind of like a big automatic shotgun or something like that. But then Casper pulls out a big pump action shotgun and is like, mine's bigger. And in response, Kirk pulls out a machete. <laughs> you should have started with the machete. And it's like, he pulls out the machete and is like, who says size doesn't matter because it's a big knife. And then she pulls out the shotgun and says, mine's bigger. And then Kirk should pull out the bigger gun. That's how you escalate the joke. But it, <sighs> it's, and it's you not did it wrong. They're doing the reverse and it's funny in the opposite way. They're doing the reverse and acting like it's the right way. Yeah. It's, <sighs> it's very bad. Though I think the movie might end on my favorite action scene in the movie because the yeah. movie is ending on zombie lord sword fight axe fight with 360 like spins added in and like it's dumb and it's not honestly very good choreo but I like the idea of a zombie sword fight well enough to make this worth my time. Yeah, and they establish really early on in the movie that Alicia took fencing in college. Like that's a th- she went off to do fencing and like yeah. so that's a thing, but at it's like- all they're not fencing. They're using big I mean, they look like rapiers except their blades are probably 3 inches thick and yeah. they're two-handing them and they're just kind of hitting the swords over each other's heads. 
the the zombie guy hits her sword three times and she's just holding it. Like I said, it's not good fight choreo. No. But it is a zombie sword act fight with 360 spin cameras. So it's better than anything I've seen so far. <laughs> anyway, she gets stabbed in the chest and then yeah. falls over. Through, and so- the, through the lace on her, like, front laced tank top. Yes, her, like, bodice. Yeah, so which is really, actually pretty cute. Yeah, her aesthetic is very like '90s alternative, and it's it's attractive. I won't lie, um, but uh, the movie's too shit. For yeah, me to care. Um, and it's not like sexy enough that it's distracting. It's just kind of like casually attractive. Yeah. Anyway, she gets stabbed right through the chest. Rudy in turn beheads the Scarface man, but because he's like an immortal zombie man, his body is still like gonna do some action. So Alicia gets up as if she hadn't just been stabbed through the chest, finishes the head off by stepping on it, and it goes sploosh, and then she just dies again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we get a hard cut to like, and this is where we are, and the narration comes back, and the cops come, and I guess the implication is that he turned Alicia into a zombie. The end. Thank Christ. This this ending implication is stolen from a much better horror movie, which is Reanimator, which okay. is a movie that is based loosely on an H.P. Lovecraft story about a scientist who creates a serum that reanimates the dead. And that movie is significantly better it's like a well-constructed b-horror movie that ends with the main character who has been like reticent to help herbert west who created this serum do experiments on corpses but his girlfriend has died in the in the ensuing action as a consequence of what they were doing and in a moment of weakness he uses the serum on her and the camera fades out on the like glowing green syringe and you don't know what's going to happen next, but you know that it's bad. Mm. That's kind of cool. That's a good ending. See, yeah. you stole why, it, Uwe, and you did it badly. <laughs> part of why that works, in theory at least, is that you maybe knew anything about that character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, like, I know more about Alicia than Rudy, which is normally fine, but I kind of need to know anything about Rudy, his motivations, his his pains whether or not he likes anything about the world before i'm supposed to care that he's turning into a mad scientist or i need to have entirely been isolated from him and only seen him from the outside so that i'm surprised when he does this as is i already know he's an asshole and that's all i know so i don't really care that he's done this yeah his entire personality is summed up as looking kind of like young bruce campbell he looks a little bit like Andrew Garfield also. That's what I first thought. I was like, oh, hmm. look at this cheap-ass Andrew Garfield-looking motherfucker. He's he's kind of got a, like, Ash from Evil Dead look, which is probably intentional, but, like, none of the personality of that character. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> he's also, as we've mentioned, not really in the movie that much compared no. to the other characters. So, like, either he needs to be in it less so that there's like a surprise that this like kind of like nobody character is the one who gets to the end and also becomes the main threat or he needs to be the main fucking character this movie is just constructed poorly in every possible way and i still liked it better than alone in the 
Yeah. I would not recommend this. There are so many better zombie movies. There are better zombie oh, yeah. movies that are serious. There are better zombie movies that are campy. There are better zombie movies with tits. There are better zombie movies with sea captains, probably even. Uh, just don't. Just don't bother. It's Come not on. very good. We did it for you. It's fine. Just give us money. <laughs> Take whatever time you would have done to find this movie, whatever money you would have spent on it, and give it to us. <laughs> we deserve it for having watched this movie. It was, it was pretty painful. It was just boring. That's an hour and 40 minutes of my life that I will never get back. <laughs> Plus the additional hour and 40 minutes we've spent <laughs> complaining about it. about it. Yeah. The only way I would maybe suggest watching this, which probably still don't, but let's transition into fun facts because... One of the interesting things I learned reading about this movie is that Uwe Boll tried a Tommy Wiseau and created an alternate cut of this movie that turns it into a comedy. I might watch that. They have used outtakes with mistakes in them and jokey pop-up commentary bits and like alternate musical numbers to try and turn it into like a funny like b-movie horror comedy i don't know if that's any good it was like a dvd extra i think when it was finally released on home video so i haven't seen it but it seems to be decently liked among like cult movie fans so the house of the movie comedy edition with general (laughs) sense of the movie with generous that sounds right with generous samplings of your favorite intoxicant would be my only recommended way to see this. Recommended because fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> this movie uh, doesn't deserve our best work. <laughs> uh, Was there anything else fun about this movie, Nathan? Uh, well, a couple of the original creators of the Sega game cameoed as zombies in this movie. I don't know who they were, uh, but they're in there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, so that's Great. fun. And yeah, it was entirely shot in Vancouver and like around other areas of BC, which is fun for me because like we're Canadian. Uh, Vancouver is lovely. Yeah. It uh, is. Go to Vancouver. <laughs> give, give the Canadian Although, government some of your tourism money. This was a co production with a Canadian production company. So I guess I apologize on behalf of the Canadian people for contributing to this movie. (laughs) There are probably, I know for a fact there are better Canadian zombie movies than this. Please watch literally anything other than this. Oh, another fun fact is that the actress who played Shirley is also the voice of Rhodonite on Steven Universe. That's a fun fact. There there are people... There are people in this movie that I kind of recognized. Like, Simon looks really familiar. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's from anything familiar. I also want to give the actors in this movie a little bit of credit. Um, Because I think overall, all of the actors are doing their best. There's nobody in this movie that I I think is really phoning it in. They're all trying. They are working with paper-thin characters. But but Mm. the actors are doing fine. No, No problem with the actors in this. I also just want to point out that the actor who played Kirk, his name is Jürgen Perchnoy. <laughs> okay. Or Porchnoy. 
maybe it's Porchno. I don't actually know how the last name is pronounced. It's just like a fun name. It's a lot. Um. Uh, but yeah, there isn't any. There, there isn't much else about this movie that is particularly interesting from a like production background standpoint. I couldn't find much in terms of stories about it, which seems to weirdly be the case with Uwe Boll movies. I mean, maybe maybe people just don't find them interesting enough as bad movies to like tell stories about. Maybe Uwe Boll is just a boring guy who doesn't do anything interesting on set. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, there isn't much in the way of fun facts this section, which I think is fine since we've already talked about this movie for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> Quick thought. <laughs> wouldn't it be interesting to have a movie, zombie movie set in an actual rave, like a dark industrial club with like glow lights and like techno music blaring and like the zombies don't act the way you're expecting because they're all high on ecstasy like yeah wouldn't that be fun that would be fun or like it turns out club drugs make you immune to the zombie virus so only people who are blitzed out of their fucking mind can survive (laughs) (laughs) i like that a lot hey hollywood give me money you gave this guy money give me money you basically make it a stoner comedy but also a zombie movie. Actually, no, track this down. In the early aughts, there was a television show on Teletoon called 16, which is about kids in the West Edmonton oh. Mall. They had a zombie special. Watch that instead, because that's about teenagers in a mall doing a Dawn of the Dead style zombie survival movie. <laughs> I just realized that what we just described before the 16 bit is the community zombie yep. Halloween special. <laughs> it really is. Just watch the Which community is Halloween fun. special. That's a good episode. The, <laughs> other, the other fun fact that I remembered just now which is not about the movie but about the game is that the reason it's called the house of the dead is because the development team was entirely japanese and didn't speak english and they just ran a bunch of japanese horror phrases and titles through uh translation and picked the one that visually looked the best in english Okay, great. That explains a lot, because there's no house involved. Uh, there was a house, but it was really not important. I mean, there's like a big mansion in the game, so... Mm. Okay, that I works. guess it works there, but yeah. House of the Dead. Well, thank you, uh... everybody, for listening to this. I don't think it was probably as good as the Alone in the Dark episode, but like, fuck you, maybe? <laughs> okay, again, I don't actually I'm not actually saying that to the audience, I'm saying it to you, Vapol. I'm okay, sorry, good. audience. Do we want to give ratings or does this movie deserve it? <sighs> I'll give this pile of I, I just give this movie why? Why? Just why? I give this movie a bundle of tiny bullets that come out of one larger bullet that comes out of a shotgun out of two Uzis. <laughs> I give this movie zombie whack-a-mole, which does happen at one point. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. <laughs> Again, uh, so much camp value wasted on such trash. Uh, well, this has been Video Game the Movie, the podcast. I am exhausted by even the thought of this. You can find me on Twitter at Kenzie Phoenix. You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerd Tram. 
You can find me on Twitter at Conwell underscore Alex or on Facebook at Alex Conwell Creative. Can we please watch a good movie sometime? Yeah, next episode's a bonus level. Yeah. Because we can't do this. Maybe we'll watch like Source Code or something next week, okay? Or, or the second Wreck-It Ralph movie where they go on the internet. Just something. something. I also haven't seen that one, so, you we'll know. watch The Wizard with fred savage i don't know and his incredibly we, we, <laughs> we could watch uh oh what's the it's not called digital it's called pixel just you know, watch pixel. no, no. pixel no. is maybe the only thing that's actually worse than this we'll do uh, it later but if you need a break uh, that's not the right direction to go okay okay i'm calling it check us out on twitter at vgtm podcast, podcast and like I don't know. Just bother us there if you want to do something. Say, say, hi. Di- say hi. We're all lonely. Yeah. It's 2020. We're also on Dice Weave. Really sad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Dice Weave. A... That's a much more entertaining way to listen to us, honestly. Yes, we get yeah. to play fun characters in the Mass Effect universe. We have. And we only talk about bad movies that don't <laughs> actually exist. <laughs> we do. They They went to a musical. It was a it was a fucking bad time. I had no preparation. Oh, I would for watch it. the House of the Dead musical though. Oh. <laughs> I I prefer I the Victor Crane. <sighs> All right, bye everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to save.